Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The following podcast was originally recorded as a live stream for YouTube on December 13th, 2020, and has been edited slightly to account for the fact that you can't see what's going on. Proceed at your own risk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the live stream coming at you live today. I'm your host, Stephen. And today I got uh, my guest today is, uh, well, he's a he's somebody who creates things with his mind. He sits down, he gets up in the morning and he sits down at his at his keyboard and he says, you know what, I'm going to create something today. And he starts typing away and he just creates characters that live and breathe and they have they, they have thoughts and they have problems and they get stuff done. That's right. I'm talking about Sean Pryor. Boom! There he is, Sean Pryor, you know, writer, podcaster, creator. What what other hats do you wear? Man, all types of hats. Uh, <laughs> writer, writer, author, podcaster, uh, creator. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, man, Super nice guy. I, I have my moments. I say I it all the time. I have my moments. Coffee drinker. Yes, <laughs> that's that's a new one. That's yeah, that coffee. You know, hey, 2020 has changed so much for me. Like, if you'd have told me, Stephen, if you told me back in 2019, hey, Sean, you are going to love coffee so much that when a pandemic hits, I'd be like, pandemic? What are you talking about? Be like, no, no, just listen to me. When the pandemic hits, you are going to be drinking coffee four times a week. And I'm like, no, I, man, I drink coffee like maybe once every three months. And I'm like, no, 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 you're going to be drinking it four times a week. Not only that, Sean, you know what else is going to happen? you are actually going to learn how to love your hair because you've had a bald fade for like almost 30 something years, man. No, man, it's just easy upkeep. No, man. Now social mores got you. So that's why, and then, you know, in America got you. So that's why you keep your hair short, but you're going to fall in love with your hair during the pandemic because you're going to grow an Afro because you can't go to the barbershop. <laughs> it's going to change everything. And it did. So like, I'm drinking like a, like a caramel mocha right now. And like, I got hair on my head and like, and just like I've been, it's been a busy year, miss all this chaos. But um, Stephen, thank you for having me on the show. Like I- I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's let's, let's, do, let's do the thing. It's a pleasure, man. I've been looking forward to this. I when I decided to start doing this live stream each week, I started thinking about who do, who do I want to get on the show, and your your name was right up at the top of the list. No, thank you. Um, now I have a I have a certain number of questions here, okay. and I, I've found that when I start interviewing people, I have certain questions that I have mapped out, but frankly, you ask one question and then that leads to all kinds of fun stuff. So I don't know where, I don't know what's going to happen today. 
right. but but we'll figure it out. But I have a I have a actually a quick question that's not on my list. I'm sitting there looking behind you, and there is a a pair of yellow legs hanging off that shelf. Oh yeah, yeah, this joint right here. Like yeah, like this was um the Justice League Action Firestorm. Nice, and um like. Justice League action was like kind of hard to like actually watch when it first came on Cartoon Network. I actually done all Cartoon Network run. It was very difficult to try to find it. So like, you know, I found it like, like about a couple of years later. I was like, man, these are a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. And so um, when the toys came out, like, you know, cause I'll collect stuff every now and then, like I'm nowhere near the collector that I used to be because one, it's impossible to do um, Two, it's become more difficult to do. And, um, and then three, sometimes you just can't find stuff. And so one day last year, I was at a five below. And I don't know if y'all have any five below story. Okay, y'all got it. We, we do, yep. Okay. So I was at a five below. And one day they just had like a bunch of Justice League action, like uh, 10 inch, 12 inch figures. They were like five bucks. And I was like, man, these are really cool. And uh, that's like, oh, Firestorm. And I'm like, I'm, I've always been a big Firestorm fan. Like every single version um, every single like, you know, uh, version I've always I've had some type of enjoyment with. And, but when I saw that one, I was like, man, this is really cool. So I went ahead and grabbed it. And they also had like a booster gold. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. I was like, let me grab this booster. Let me grab this beetle. Uh, let me grab this blue beetle and let me grab um, the Superman in an outfit that he he's never worn before, which leads to like a whole other path of like with toys when like they give certain superheroes like 55,000 different outfits that you never see. But I love that because it's yeah. a form of chaos that I, I just adore <laughs> because it drives people mad. I'm like, hey, snowsuit Batman. I'm like, you need snowsuit Batman. Okay. You need stealth wing Batman. You need like ground attack Batman. You know what I mean? Like you, like you need all the Batmans. And so like, I, I love that stuff. And it, may, it makes sense with Batman. You get, you see snowsuit Batman and you're like, I never saw that in the comics, but he would, but you know, he would wear that in the comics. Right, right, right. Batman, be, Batman fighting in the snow. It's got to have a snowsuit. Got to have a snowsuit. Yeah, snowsuit Batman. Like, so, let's talk about superheroes real quick. That's that's not on my list. Okay, but let's talk about superheroes. Um, are you much of a superhero reader when it comes to comics nowadays? Do you read a lot of superhero comics? Um, I'll be straight up. Like, I used to read them heavily. Um, and, and like since like I started like writing more like the like last four or five years, my reading of superhero comics has dipped. Um, and it's, you know, nothing personal. One, it's one, it's financial Two, yeah. it's a, it's a thing of also like, I like, I don't want to spend money on stuff. Like I'm not going to read for like four or five years. So, like a lot of times I don't buy things new anymore. Um, you know, like if I turn my camera, you would see like a bookshelf full of books and I'd say like 80% of those books I haven't even read yet. Okay. But like, I'm like, yeah, I'll get this later. And I always find the books later for cheap. So I have a tendency to like to read. I'm always behind on superhero stuff, um, especially like I said, the last four or five years. I find that like I have been more intently watching, um, you know, a Super Sentai, um, you know, a Tokusatsu. Um, I've had more interest in watching those superhero types, those superhero type stories. Um, I relate more to them. I relate more to their storytelling, their story beats. And it's no offense, like it's no offense to like the superhero stuff that's out there, because um, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff out there. Now I, I don't throw shade towards it. I just have more of a more of an inclination to uh, to really get into like deep into Super Sentai because like it's just it's something that I've always enjoyed. But now if you talk to 
Sean from like the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands. Oh man, it was, it was comic books all day, every day, every Wednesday I'm at the shop every Wednesday. Like I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get what's hot and what's new. Um, you know? And so, but like to this day, like there's still like old, older books that still resonate with me. Um, mm-hmm. The, um, the, the roadie run of uh, James Rhodes run on Iron Man when it was uh, written by um, uh, Denny, the late Denny O'Neill with uh, pencils by Luke McDonald and inks uh, sometimes by a Ken and Garvey, I believe. Um, I forget who did the colors. Um, and sometimes uh, David Michelini sometimes would write stories too. Yep. Like that run, that's like my Iron Man run period yeah that's um, i'm i'm in the middle of that run right now on marvel unlimited i i uh started around 1982 and mm-hmm. I, I, i'm around the end of 83 right now so okay. yeah that's right in the middle of his stuff oh yeah and like it's just interesting because like i don't think they knew how heavy that would how heavy that run would be because when you're a kid and you're reading it you're just like man you know roadie's kind of cool as iron man he's learning all these ropes and like sometimes he doesn't know how to restrain himself because he's frustrated but i'm like no now that i'm now that i'm older it's like okay you're a black man who is now in the role of one of the most popular superheroes you know granted back then he wasn't that popular compared to now but still he was a major superhero who was originally a white dude, everybody, everybody that knows Iron Man knows it's Tony, but like they know that's not Tony, but they don't know who's actually behind the armor. So you're a black man in a white dude's outfit trying to pass as a superhero while dealing with social issues, um, while dealing with being black. And like, it's just so many complex layers. Yeah. And then, and then, Everybody's like, man, why is like Rhodey tripping? I'm like, because he's stressed the hell out. That's why. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's stressed the hell out, you know, so much so. Tony's like, man, I got to stop drinking. Let me go help Rhodey. And, and even by the time that happens, Rhodey's like, man, you better leave me alone. You, you better leave me alone. And like, they start scrapping. Like, it gets it gets so wild because even Tony, like, go, goes to get the original Iron Man armor which has like one of the coolest covers. It's like Iron Man versus Iron Man. And I'm yep. just, and I'm like, man, ain't no way Tony going to beat Rhodey with this busted old, busted old uh, uh, Iron Man armor. No, it ain't going to happen. And I, but I love that story. You know, yeah. I, I love that story. I, I, I do feel that after that, and then when Tony came back in the Silver Centurion armor, that they really didn't know what to do with Rhodey. Um, you know, but they gave Rhodey a flat top. <laughs> yes, they did. They gave him a flat top, gave him a Uzi, and was just like, "Yo, man, just yo, just help out, help out Tony when you can, and we'll give you Tony's old armor." Oh yeah, by the way, um, it's gonna catch on fire with you in it. Um, still salty about that, by the way. <laughs> so, but um, but then you, know, you had the whole War Machine thing. Brody's story as a whole has, has just been very. It was, I think it was handled best. It was handled best with O'Neill and, and Michelini, McDonald, uh, uh, um, and Ken and Garvey. Um, Christopher Priest had done some really cool stuff with with Rhodey and the crew. Um, but besides that, it's always been very, very. It's been very up and down. Very, very mixed results. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the the announcement of the new Armors Armor Wars show coming to Disney Plus, starring Don Cheadle as War Machine? I'm I'm happy I'm happy for Don. Um, I love Don Cheadle. I love. Yeah, like, I'm happy for Don. Like War Machine is one of my was like one of my favorite um, Marvel characters um, from when I when I used to read, um, you know, Iron Man heavily. 
um, that was one of my like favorite favorite superheroes. So to see him finally to see like the character of Rhodey finally get his own thing is really cool. Um, because like I was not a fan of Iron Man three. I like I like this like I understand the story it was trying to tell. I just didn't I didn't like the execution. And then like it becomes a buddy cop comedy towards the end, which like I liked. But once again, Rhodey didn't get to do anything but be a joke. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. You know, and so like that always kind of made me salty. Um, but um, I'm glad that like he finally gets to like really do something. And so like Armor Wars sounds really cool. It does have my interest. So so yeah, like I, I'll, I'll peep it. You know, I, I'll, I'll peep it for sure. So all right, uh, let me get to this list here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some writing stuff. Um, okay. I have five questions, though, whenever I talk to somebody who is a creative Mm -hmm. that I always ask. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay, so when I when I I was like five, there was like two things I wanted to be. I wanted to either a um, pilot one of the Shogun Warriors, um, which um, which I think in America is called like Force Five or something like that. Uh, I wanted to pilot either Raiding or Guy King um, or. Or I wanted to be um, an X-wing fighter pilot. That was age of five. All right, that was age of five. Um, then my mother told me at the age of six, um, "You do know that's not real." And I'm like, "Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but you know, just, Mom, come on. Let, let me dream. Let, let me dream. Let me dream." But um, that's what I wanted to be when I was five. When I was around six or seven, that's when like I started to really get a penchant for wanting to write without really knowing how, because like, I, you know, I was. My parents always wanted me to read and they didn't have to force me to do it. Like um, I had a bunch of like Disney books when I was a kid. Um, when back in the day, when you go to the grocery store and remember, you could buy the encyclopedias one at a time. Yep. There was um, the same company that, that had these Disney storybooks and they would do the same thing where they would um, say, OK, we're going to give you three right now. And like uh, and like some bookends and every other month we'll send you another book. That sounds real familiar. And so um, I think my dad still has still has all still has all those books. So I would read those like every single day and I would look in the mail every single day. And my parents were like, listen, they're not coming for another for another month. And I'm like, well, how long is that? But like, go look at the calendar and just count it down. So I'm like, OK, fine. So I used to read those heavily. I used to read a lot of Charlie Brown, a lot of Peanuts, uh, Garfield. Um, and then so like all of that got me really excited about writing. So I was like, okay, so I just grabbed pen, pen, pencil, just started writing, try to like write Charlie Brown stories and Garfield stories and whatnot. Um, but it really wasn't until I think I was like around 27. So I don't actually, I think it was in my thirties. I was actually in my thirties. When I was in my thirties, I was like, okay, I really want to write, but what do I want to do? And so I started with comics because like, I, you know, I, I've always enjoyed them. I enjoyed the, you know, um, the medium, so I said, okay, yeah, let, let's do this. So like 2007, 2007, I was like, okay, we're going to start writing comics. And like, I learned the hard way and uh, did stuff like independently. Um, and then in 2010, um, you know, joined uh, Action Lab Entertainment and I was on and off with them for like a decade. Um, but in, in the midst of like learning all of that, like um, I started to realize like about three years ago that I can do more than just comics. And that's where really things started to change for me because like the comics game, me and the comics game, we haven't always seen eye to eye and we always haven't had a good relationship. And so, um, and I'm sure other people could say the same, but my whole thing was like in 2017, I got my first ever work for hire to write prose for a company called Capstone. 
they do like a lot of uh, kids books. They do like kids pros and sports pros and children's books and graphic novels. They do all types of stuff, tons of different divisions. And so I got a work for hire gig to write a sports novel. I was like 5,000 words. And they were like, well, it pays this much. And when they told me the amount, I was like, wow. I was like, I never got paid that much for doing comics. So I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. Come on. Come on. I can do this. And so like I wrote my first like prose novel and I was like, why haven't I been doing this? Like I should have been doing this a decade ago. What am I doing? And it changed everything for me. Yeah. And then I wrote my first children's book for Capstone um, because they have like a line called like kids sports stories and like, you know, 750 words, you know, it's 750 words, but you have to learn how to write for children's books. Like, Every single thing I've written for them, and I've written a good amount of books for them over like the last three years, they're different formats. So you have to learn different writing styles. And that's been like, you know, so you're dealing with different editors and they're all very helpful and very kind. And like, it's been fantastic. And it really changed my outlook on writing as a whole. Um, because like it was at that moment I realized like, okay, I could dedicate all my time to like the comic book business and trying to break in per se. But if 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 it's like the returns aren't there, okay, we can go somewhere else, you know. Like, and that's the whole thing with Kickstarter. Like, you know, that's that's the whole thing with Kickstarter too. Like, that's why like I made like such a strong push this year via Kickstarter because it enabled me to also get out projects that I wanted to see out there, regardless if any market wanted it or not. Um, because I knew that there was an audience for it. Yeah. So you know, and now I'm at that stage where now I have a liter a literary agent, and now I can say, okay. This project is for me, and this project is for me too. But I feel that this could do well in X Y X Y Z. My agent's like, let me take a look at it. Oh, this looks really cool. Okay, let's see if we can sell this. So, like, that's that's where I'm at now, you know. And like, and the thing is, is that I still maintain a nine to five, you know, because like, you know, hey, like that's the whole thing. People think that when you get an agent or if you got a book on the shelves, that like, you know, you making bank. And I'm just like, yep. no, bro, <laughs> no, no, not no, I'm not there yet. I'm not I'm not there yet. Like, trust me, everybody will know the day I eventually quit my job. Everyone will know. But it's not today. Yeah, that's like a that's like a big myth. People just assume that once you once you start publishing, man, the the money is just, you know, you're making Stephen King money or something. And that's I think a a lot of a lot of authors out there for a long time. They they had the, the day job. They had to still pay the bills. They weren't getting it from those books. But yeah, Yeah. it's a grind. Like it's a complete grind. When I um, when when before my agent signed me, um, Kelly um, Kelly asked me. She said, "How do you see this going? You know, how how do you see this actually working out?" I said, "Well, um, I said the first like two or three years, I expect to still have a job." You know, because like I know the first like the first book deal isn't going to be big. You know, I'm not going to get a gang of money. You know, I'm not, you know, just as long as the royalties are good, you know, and then then I'm like, okay, well, I may not see a lot of money from that still anyway. So it's like the first couple of years is about it's about basically building a name within publishing. So and like and also building trust within publishers. So I was like, that's where we start. I said, you know, now you talk to me five, 10 years down the line. Yeah, it'd be great if I don't have to have a nine to five anymore. But I said, you know what? I said, I'm good with working a nine to five because this is what I've been doing. Yeah. Like, I'm used to it. Like, plus, I like having health care. Oh, yeah. 
That's a big thing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that's I mean that's the thing. They, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time listening to a lot of podcasts about self-publishing and about writing and about breaking into the business and all that. And you know, the first thing a lot of folks will tell you is 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 if you're getting into writing to be rich and famous, you've picked the wrong profession because it's it's probably not going to happen. Um, but for a lot of people, the it's the act of writing, it's just it's like it's almost like you don't have a choice. There's just something inside you and you got to get it out. And yeah. if you don't get it out, it's going to be up here and you're going to be thinking about it all the time and it's going to drive you nuts. So yeah. you have you have to put it somewhere and whether or not it goes into a drawer or you put it out there for people to see, it's you're going to be doing it anyway. So if you can make a living off of it, that's the dream, right? Yes. Yes. So, Oh yeah, definitely. Like that's, and that's, that's the whole thing. And like, the thing is, is that it's not there yet. Yep. Um, you know, like, um, it's just, just not, but it's, things are getting better, but it's still not where it needs to be for me to say, okay, well I can cut back here and then I can go ahead and do more here. It's like, no, you still work full time. You have bills to pay. There's a mortgage on this house. Um, you know, so, uh, guess what? Guess who's going to work today? You yep. are. Okay, so that's how it goes. That is how it goes. Well, you're definitely on the path, though. Thank you. Thank you. you. Know? Yeah, it's and the nice thing about writing is you can't. I mean, it's you do have to. Obviously, you are a very, very busy man, and uh, when you when you juggle that nine to five at the same time, it's you. You don't have a lot of time to yourself, or or the time to yourself is spent writing. Even if you're not in front of a keyboard, you got you probably have a little notebook that you're jotting down notes and 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 whatnot in. But you know the great thing about writing is you can pretty much do it anywhere nowadays. You, you know can. you don't have to have one of those great big old clunky typewriters that you got to try to carry with you somewhere. Oh yeah, you know? no, you can you can do it pretty much anywhere. Like sometimes I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I am a stickler. Um, sometimes like there is a certain environment that I like to have and like to be in before I start typing. And then there's other times just like, man, you're just being lazy. Just get your butt in there and go right. <laughs> it's just, it's no, just, I get that. You know, I get that. You know, with. Like, um, you know, like notes app, notes app on my iPhone has been incredible because like, I'm like, Oh, okay. I got an idea real quick. And I'm just be like, and I'll put in a notes app and it's in the cloud forever. Um, until I accidentally delete it and I scream, <laughs> but, um, but, but like those things like are a big help. Like um, I, I've known authors, you know, like over the last couple of years, because like some of them may have had just had kids, like they literally have written a novel in their notes app. Yeah. And um, first off, I'm like, how, how did you do that? Because like, I literally would be like squinting and squinting and trying yeah. to type squint and, you know, like, cause I don't have my glasses on right now. And so, but like, I would literally have my glasses on and at the same time doing this because like, I'm at the age where I'm this close to getting bifocals and like, I know it's coming. And so I accept it. But at the same time, I'm very angry about it, <laughs> but, but bifocals have come a long way. They're no longer this, like, you know, like, like the line, like they look like regular glasses now. So that's, see? What, that's what these are. These are my first. See, okay. Okay. See, see, I, I got a witness then I got a yeah. witness, you know, like, cause you know, back when I was a kid, you know, I would see like autumn bifocals that have like the lines. And so now your glasses like are split in half. So it's just like, so it's like the death star where you see that line in the middle of the death star. And it's just like, man, I don't want those. Yeah. But, but now, no, like it's changed. Like the technology has changed. So I'm just like, well, probably next year I'm going to have to get bifocals. So let me prepare. <laughs> they they do take a little getting used to, but yeah, that's what that's what these are. Cool. You got you got to look at them. You got to look at them the right way. And if you're not, 
sometimes I'll be like, why is everything blurry? All of us did I put my glasses on? Oh, no, they're on. I'm just looking at them wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yes. let's, let's talk about process real quick, because uh, we all have our own way of doing things. And um, me, for example, <clears throat> I got this stupid thing that holds me back that I don't even like to start something unless I have come up with a title first. Mm-hmm. I don't even like typing word one unless I got a title. Okay. And I also have to I use uh, I use Scrivener to do all my writing in. Okay. Um, I can't. I can't write by hand. I know people who have written entire novels on notebook paper and I I can't do that Mm -hmm. because a, my hand cramps up after like 30 seconds. Um, and mine it's mine have to look, it's got, it's got to look nice. (laughs) So tell, tell me about your process. How do you, do you start? Well, let me ask you this first. Mm -hmm. Are, do you, uh, are you a pantser? Do you know that term? Do you, do you write by the seat? Stephen King is a pantser writes by the seat of their pants. They do not have any kind of outline going in. They have an idea and they just start writing. Oh no. Or do you, do you outline? Do you take, do you know, do you get it all structured and formatted first and then start writing? Do you know how the book is going to end before you, before you officially really start? No, no, I don't. Now, now with work for hire work, it's different work for hire work. Normally I have to give a full outline. And then, so then like both the party, like both parties are happy with like, okay, this is how the story is going to go. All right, bet. Let's go. <laughs> um, like, um, but like a lot of times, like I, I'm, I'm, I love outlines. I love outlining. And the one thing I've had to teach myself over like the last five years is, is that just because I outline it, it doesn't mean that the story is set in stone because right. things are always susceptible, you know, susceptible to change. Um, and um, I'm like, yo, you can change things if you feel the story needs to go another way. And, I'm, and it used to be like, no, no, this is the outlining. We have to stick with it. I'm like, no, you don't, bro. You know, you don't have to. Like, if you feel that the story is going to go somewhere else, if you take it somewhere else, and it's going to be better. Go ahead and take it somewhere else. And like these other notes that you have, just move them, move them into something else if you need be or don't use them at all. It's OK. You know, you don't have to use every single idea that you have. Um, I am an outline person. Um, like I normally don't worry about titles. Sometimes titles are the most difficult thing for me. Um, like every now and then, like I will have a title that comes first, which is rare. And I'm just like, Oh, that sounds like a really dope title. Uh, do we have a story that goes with this? Uh, I don't know. Well, let's just write down this title before we lose it because we, we can never think of a title. So, um, but normally I am, you know, I'm about outlining and then I'll outline. And then after I outline, I'm like, okay, where's our main character? We've talked about everything the main character is going to do and go through, but what are they like? You know, what, what are they like? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Um, you know, do they like sleeping in every day? Do they, you know, do they like playing video games? Do they like, you know, ex- jogging and going outside? Do they like, you know, like, you know, being on FaceTime with their friends and family? Like, like all these little intricacies, because like these little intricacies, can not only round out a character, but also help you move the story along too. And that's the whole thing. Like a lot of people don't understand that like everyday life stuff can really change the outlook of your story as a whole. And and like, and it just incorporates like all these worlds and like makes it so much better. Not to the point to where it's like, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did that. It just, it just makes it, it just makes it flow because like, say for instance, like if the main character really enjoyed FaceTiming, well, what if in this story, like the event, the event, like an, the character witnessed this event, but it was through FaceTime. And then that was the whole thing. Well, I wouldn't, how would I have set up this event? Oh, well, they use FaceTime, right? Okay, well, we can, we can say they saw this event via FaceTime. And now, okay, now we've opened up our story. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like little things can make big things happen. 
Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but like I'm, I'm all about outlining. It's rare when I do, it's rare if I do a story out of the seat of my pants. I've only done that. I say maybe like in the last five years, maybe about four or five times. Um, one of those times was for a uh, anthology uh, for Luke Foster. Um, he did a Western anthology that I'm a part of. Um, I think it's called, it's called a, <clears throat> it's called eight gunshots. I believe it's yeah. available on Amazon right now. Um, and um and so it was like a western that so sounds like man i've always wanted to write a western so it's but it had to be short so i literally wrote that off the seat of my pants yeah. and like um and i remember when i was done like i was sweating i mean i was sweating because i was just like i don't normally do this i don't normally do this this makes sense then i read it and i was like eh, i want a little change here okay i like this okay let's, let's send it to somebody to edit it and hopefully the verb tension the verb tense is good go and um but it's 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 rare it's really really rare because like i i can be very anal retentive um when it comes to writing and i don't mean like sticking to form and grammar and syntax just in i have to have an outline in place and understand the outline can be subject to change if i don't have an outline oh man like if it's a big story i'm asking myself putting myself in a world of hurt because literally i'm just at the keyboard saying okay what you gonna do yeah go ahead what you gonna do don't go to youtube bro nope nope we're not watching wrestling on youtube nope come on give me something give me something So, so yeah yeah i've done it i've done it both ways and i have found that there are advantages to both my my very first the <clears throat> I've only really I've written two books and then a, a collection of uh, four novellas. My first book was completely pantsed, and the the problem with that was that it took me four years to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the thing about it though is I got about sixty percent into it, and it 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 was at that point because I had no idea where I was going, but it all at that point just kind of clicked, yeah. and I said, "Holy crap." I know exactly what I want to do now. I know uh, I know how I'm going to end this. Now I had to go back and rewrite a bunch of the stuff that I had written, mm-hmm. but there was there's just this feeling when you're just doing it by the seat of your pants when it all comes together and you're just like oh, it's like this this I don't know just this wonderful feeling. But uh, the last thing I wrote and I tell you I have I have not written anything in 2020. I have just not I can't I can't make myself. I've been trying. I just can't do it. There's just my my head's not in it. But the last thing I wrote. It was a, a short story. I put it in, in this collection and I did. I actually sat down and it was like, it's like 10 to 15 chapters. And I went and I, uh, out, I didn't outline it, but I did a paragraph for each chapter. So this is what's going to happen in this chapter. This is what's going to happen in this chapter. And so I got all the chapters uh, summarized. So I knew exactly how I was going to start. I knew how I was going to end it. And uh, then when I actually sat down and wrote, it's like, holy crap, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? This is easy. <laughs> yes. I know where I'm going. There's a roadmap in front of me. If I, if I, yeah, if I want to swerve a little, if I want to take this exit, I'll get back on the highway later, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just, there, there are advantages to both. And that once I had it mapped out, I had it written in no time, but that first one that I just pantsed Yeah. It took me four years because <laughs> I just, I kept hitting stumbling blocks. And, mm-hmm. and since I didn't have anything mapped out, I just, I'd walk away for a while. Oh, yeah. And then I and then and then I just wake up one morning. Oh, he's got to do this. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so do you uh, do you have a, a schedule when you're when you're actually writing? Do you schedule it out? Do you say to uh, every day at this time for this amount of time I'm going to write? Or do you have like a, a word count goal for each day when you're writing? Um, I never, like, I don't really have a schedule per se. Like, it's more of a thing of like, say for instance, um, 
Like if I know that a work for hire gig is due on X day um, and like depending on how much work I have on top of the stuff I'm trying to create and the stuff I'm doing work for hire. Um, let's say that like I have a book that's due 12, 16, like uh, the 16th of uh, December. I hope <clears throat> depending on the amount of words, I hope that I have at least started it a, at least a week before it's due. Let's say that book was a little, a little stuck in my throat. Excuse me. Some got stuck in my throat. Ooh. Anyway, um, let's say 10,000 words. And so if I had 10,000 words, I'm hoping I gave myself at least a week to do it. But knowing me, I didn't. So I was like, okay, I got three days. So when I get home from work, we're going to write three chapters a day for the first two days. <clears throat> and then the last day, write four chapters because we already have the outline. The outline's good. The outline's done. We did that outline like a while ago. So we do three, three chapters a day for, for two days. And on the third day, we do the four chapters and then we do the supplemental material the day we turn it in. So like, that's how it would do. That's like, that's how it would be like sometimes a lot of other times though, when I actually give myself the grace and like the leeway and the time, um, it would be a situation of, okay, um, here is a 5,000 word, uh, novella. Okay. So here's our outline. Okay. So what we'll do is like, there's some days I'll come home from work. I'm like, you know what? Sean's not writing today. It's not happening. Uh, it's just not, um, for me, it's just uh, more of a thing of, okay, I know I've got seven days in the week. If I'm writing in at least three or four of them, I did okay. That's how, that's how it normally goes for me. And then there's sometimes I take weeks off, you know, because, well, first off, 2020 has been hell. So it's more of a thing of like, I have to allow myself time off from writing. And even during that time off, I'm still like outlining stuff. So I'm like, Sean, you're still writing. Are you really giving yourself a break? Um, but like, um, there is no set schedule per se. Like a lot of times I'll just tell my fiance, I'm like, listen, after I cook dinner, I'm going to be downstairs for like three or four hours and I'm going to write as much as possible. And then tomorrow I won't be writing. We'll watch some TV. Uh, we'll watch Charlie Brown Christmas and, uh, and maybe like, you know, the Grinch and, you know, and like, and whatever, and we'll just chill out. Um, but like, um, I hope to get to one day, get to that place where I do just schedule and say, this is the, this is the block. This is the block. I'm not there yet. Yeah. And, but how I write right now, it work, it does work for me. Um, my, and sometimes like I'm at my best when I'm under pressure. Um, even though I'm like, Sean, you know, when you're under pressure, your high blood pressure goes up. <laughs> so, you know, you get high blood pressure. So I'm like, Hey, let's bring this down and let's, let's space this out to make it e to make it easy for us. So, um, so yeah, no, no sets, no set schedule. As long as I get three or four days in a writing a week, um, I'm not really concerned about the word count per se. Um, as long as I do get some writing in, that's what matters most to me. Okay. And the work for hire, you said the outline was done a long time ago. That's how you get the, is that how you get the gig is the outline you give them the outline and you say, this is, I mean, how, uh, do you, are you getting your work for hire through your agent? Um, well, in the beginning, like uh, in, in the beginning, when I started doing uh, work for hire work, I was getting the stuff, that stuff myself. Um, and, uh, and it was because like a lot of it was because like in 2017, uh, my name was in a database. Huh. And, um, and so like um, an editor at Capstone saw my name and was just like, well, we're looking to hire more, you know, writers of color and, you know, more black people for our books. And uh, we, you know, we see that you've written a lot of comics, but do you, do you ever think that you could write prose? And I was like, uh, yeah, because one, I knew they were going to pay, uh, you know, they're going to actually write a check. So I was like, yeah, let me take a shot. And so um, they're like, well, you know, we're doing this baseball book. Um, and uh, can you give us a baseball story? So what, what happened is, is this, like, I would say, okay, 
I would give them an idea for a baseball story. And I would say, okay, it's about this kid. He plays wiffle ball with his friends all the time. He's really, really good at it. And, um, and after playing with his friends, they, they're walking down the street and they see a sign talking about a traveling, a traveling baseball team. And like all of his friends are like, you should really try out. Like you're the best out of all of us. And he's like, no, I was like, I just play wiffle ball. And they're like, you could play baseball, man. You, you know, you just got to try, you know. And so, and it's a story about this kid who tries out for a traveling baseball team and he makes the team. He, yes, he makes mistakes and he makes a couple of friends along the way and some enemies. And, and when his number's actually called, you know, it's time for him to step up and do his thing. Now, will he do his thing or will he fall, fall to pieces? And they're like, we like that. Give us an outline. I was like, okay, cool. So I give him my outline and they're like, okay, we like this. We like this. You might want to change this right here. You might want to change this right here. Okay. Let me see. Okay, cool. Let's go. So then I write the story and then I give it, I give it back to them and they're like, okay, when you're writing this, um, this is for age range X through Y. So we need to, cur- you know, we need to curb, curb back some of the words, you know, we need to, you know, we need, we need to shorten the words, um, you know, check your vocabulary. Okay you know, we don't like this ending. We think it's corny. Can you change that? Um, you know, we, you know, change this dialogue here. We think that this would fit better here. And like a lot of times I'm just like, yeah, they're right. They're, they're you know, they're, they're really right. You know, um, you know, every now and then I'll be like, well, you know, I see what you're saying, but like, can we do this instead? Because I've got this going on later in the book. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Go. So, um, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting relationship. And so like, I've been doing that for a few years and I've been trying to get an agent since 2015. Yeah. And so and out of all the years to actually land a literary agent, 2020, um, just because as I said before, we all know what 2020 has been like. Um, and, uh, and when Kelly reached out to me, uh, cause there was a couple, there were a couple other agents that reached out to me too. Um, because I was working on, working on a project with artist Courtney Hahn and, um, and a bunch of agents had reached out and like some of the communication was weird. Others, like it was really good communication, but I didn't, but like at the same time, you didn't get a good vibe. And then, you know, it was silent for a while. And then Kelly had reached out to me and I forgot that she had reached out to me. And so I looked at my email again. I was like, Oh man, I almost blew this blessing. So, um, and then we had a nice long talk and, um, and she, said okay this is what we this is what we can do um you know i know you know about comics how you feel about prose how do you feel about this and whatnot she's like these are your audiences that we can target these are the markets you know this is what this is this is our take this is what your this is what your, your take will be and she really broke down things in such a way where i felt comfortable and it just wasn't about because like a lot of times when, we were, when i was trying to find an agent there was a, a certain project that i was pitching and she really liked that project, but she was like, I also want to, I also want to talk about your other projects that you want. Whereas like a bunch of other agents, they were just talking about that one project, yeah. which as much as I, I appreciate that, I also, you know, also appreciate people who say, okay, well, what about the rest of your career? What are the things, what are the things interest you? What other things are you going for? Um, and, I, and it just felt right. And it just felt right. And I felt like, you know, Kelly had my back. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, let, let's do this. And so, um, and so, yeah, she, you know, she takes good care of me and, and like, it's, it's a weight off my shoulders because originally when I was just, when Capstone reached out to me, it's like, okay, I got to look at the contracts. Um, I got to sign all the paperwork. I got to make sure everything in the contracts is cool. Okay. Send it back. But at the same time, I don't have leverage. I'm not an agent. 
You know what I mean? Yep. Now it's a thing of if if a publisher reaches out to me for work for hire work, I'm like, hey, that sounds really cool. Here's my agent. Contact them so y'all can work it out. And then my agent gets back to me and says, okay, this is what they're offering. Um, you know, it's eh, you know, it's okay. Um, but do you want it or not? And like, and she'll, she, you know, she'll give me the pros and cons of like any type of work for hire deal. Or like if we're trying to pitch a project somewhere, the pros and cons of, you know, this is what they're, this is what they're offering. This is what you should actually get though. You know what I mean? And so it's just nice to have somebody in your corner that can, that can take up so much of that pressure off. And, um, and getting an agent, like, like for black folks, getting an agent ain't easy, bro. Like it's, it's not. It's 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 not because you always have to feel like you got to be four thousand times better than everybody else in the room just to get like the smallest percentage of attention, you know, and a lot of times like like a lot of these folks don't understand, don't understand you or don't understand your culture or where you come from, um, you know, because they've never had to like be in the room with, you know, with people that look like you, you know what I mean? Yep. And so, like, after the New York Times dropped that article um, a couple of days ago about how white publishing is, which so many of us have been saying for decades, it's like, we've told you, we have, we told you. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we realize this now. Here's an article about it. And we're just like, oh. like, we appreciate you saying this. We really do. But we really need change in this business. Um, you know, like, it's it's tough. It, it's, it's tough. And like, um so like I feel like any I feel for anybody going on this journey right now to get representation because you want somebody that not only will fight for you but understands what you're trying to do as a storyteller. You know, like um, there's a writer by the name of Angie Thomas. Uh, she wrote the book um, the um, the Hate You Give, and which was also turned into a movie um, a couple years ago. And and when Angie Thomas was pitching to publishers, one of the publishers said, and it's in this New York Times article. Um, one of the publishers said, well, we like your story, but we already have, basically they said, we already have a black, they had Jason Reynolds and they were also like, and the thing is, they're like, well, we already have a black person that tells stories like this. And I'm like, no two stories are the same. No two stories are the same. It's like, you know, basically we we already have our black and I'm just like, (laughs) but, but like, that's the thing. Comic book publishers do that stuff too. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, it's wild. Like it's, it's wild. And so, um, and so, like, now, I, like, I really, over the last five years, really understand why, like, so many cats, like, do things independently. Like, on top of, like, if they have representation, like, they might do other things independently. Like, uh, it's part of the reason why, like, I ran three Kickstarters this year, you know, because, like, um, with a project like Ignition, as much as I love it, and as much as I love working with Jenna Wright and Kelly Guillory, you know, it's a story with a black female lead. How many publishers are going are gonna to be willing to take a chance on it? You know, um, it's it's a story that's like the transporter meets drive meets fast and furious with a black woman lead. And like so many publishers like, well, you know, we kind of like the art style, but we don't like the colors or we like the colors, but we may not like the art style. Or, you know, we don't know about this type of story. We don't know if it, if it can sell. I'm like, I'm like, homie, I worked in the business for over 10 years. I've seen how this business runs. I've seen how it operates. And I've seen a lot of y'all's numbers like our book could fare well if you wish, if you choose to believe in it. But also you need a publisher that's going to get behind you and actually somewhat try to market it and also push to these shops the importance of the book. A lot of yeah. shops don't do a lot. A lot of publishers don't do that. Yeah. So, you know, so like it's, it's a struggle and it's a journey, my friend. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Kickstarter for right. a bit here. Um, and I should say anybody who's watching right now, if you're watching live or you got a question for Sean, type it in the comment. 
or if you just want to say, hey, Sean, or if you want to say, you know, whatever, type it in the comment. <clears throat> but uh, so if I did my research correctly, you have done to date eight Kickstarters. Does that uh, sound right? That sounds about right. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Your first one would have been, it looks like in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yes. So think about that first Kickstarter. Think about your last one. Mm-hmm. What do you know now that you didn't know then? If you if you could if you could go back to 2010 until 2010, Sean, mm-hmm. before you start this Kickstarter, you need make sure you do this. Um, make sure you know who your audience is. Um, make sure that um, what's your what's your reach? Like what's your social media reach? Because like a lot of stuff with Kickstarter, it takes social media it takes social media to get the word out there. What's that out? What's that outreach look like? Are you going to spend any money on internet advertising? Um, you know, and because once again, like the more people you reach, the better, the better chance you have of getting fully funded. How much money are you willing to spend on internet advertising? Um, how much are you willing to talk about your project every single day? Um, how many different ways can you spin your project? Um, is this project yours or is this someone else's project? Now with ignition that uh, with, with ignition issue two, that's me, uh, Jenlyn Wright and Kelly Guillory. Um, with the very first ever Kickstarter I did, that was for Action Lab. Um, that was actually to get Action Lab Entertainment seed money. And so not only with that one, I'm like, not only are you stumping for a project that technically isn't yours, you're also stumping for a company that you're a part of, that, you know, that you're, that you're a part of, that you're trying to get off the ground. So, you know, but now, like, you don't have to deal with that anymore. Now you're representing for you. You know, you're representing for you, you're representing for the team, for your team and for this specific project. Um, it's like, you know, also, hey, your video, your video doesn't need to be any more than maybe a minute, a minute and 30 seconds tops, period. OK, so get to the point, but make it entertaining. You don't have to talk. You don't have to. You don't have to be in front of the camera. Let let the project, you know, present itself, period. Let the project present itself. Sell it the best way you can. Um, and if you can do that, great. Um, also, learn about um, <laughs> from ten years ago. Learn about um, what's the room I'm looking for? Uh, you know, as far as like stock music. Um, you know, being able to get royalty free. Uh, you know, music to use. Like, where do you find that music? Like, you know, learn like, learn that. Go back ten years ago. Like, look, you go to these sites. You can get royalty free music. Just have to credit them for it. Got it. Bet. Um, you know, like, get to the point. What is your project about? Who is your creative team? Here are your rewards. Tell them right in that right in that list. Just try to get to the point. And um, and ten years ago, I would have told I would have told myself, make sure you communicate as much as possible with the people who back you. And like I try to do that all the t- like all the time. Like later this week for the first ignition Kickstarter that I did, I'll be bringing out an update, letting people know this is where the shipping is. And then for the Fire Within Kickstarter, I'll be letting them know, hey, only twenty seven people left to fill out their surveys, and then we can start getting that underway. Um, you know, with the ignition issue two, like three days from now, I can say, hey, guess what? The money's finally arrived. So while Kelly is working on issue two, um, I can get these other rewards put together for y'all. And so then we can order the books. And then in February, boom, y'all can get y'all stuff. So it's a, it's a process. And that's another thing too: patience, patience, because not everything is going to go smooth, period. And based on what I can see, all eight of your Kickstarters were successful, mm-hmm. correct? You raised the money you were looking to raise. What do you, what do you attribute that to? Because I have to assume not everybody who throws a Kickstarter out there is, is successful. But True. you've done eight. All eight of them have gone through. 
Um, I, um, dedication, um, commitment, luck, um, and good and great, good and great people who believe in me, you know what I mean? And believe in the projects that like me and, and like the folks I've collabed with have been trying to do over the years. Um, like it's, it's nice to have that support, you know, like, um, like, it's, cause like it, it, it can get really stressful. It can get really, really stressful because like the one thing I'm trying so hard to not do is compare myself to other people. And it's very tough, especially when you're doing crowdfunding. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so you're like just chugging along. It's like, well, I'll get there. We're going. We're in, we're in the we're in the buggy. We're getting there. And then you see somebody come through with a Lamborghini and lap yep. you four and lap you four times. And yep. it's like, oh, you, you're just like, what am I doing wrong? And it's, and it's not what you're doing wrong. It's just that every audience is different, you know. And and that's the whole thing. Every audience is different. And there's only so much you can do as an individual. You know what I mean? But like what I've noticed, like, oh, like, especially over like the last like five Kickstarters I've done, there are a certain number of people who always come back because I always make sure these people get taken care of, you know, and I always like let people know if you back my Kickstarter, if there's a problem, please contact me, please, please contact me because I want to take care of you. Um, there have also been some there have also been some folks I've done, I've done Kickstarters with like years later, finally fill out their um, their survey. <laughs> Years later, um, I actually had like two people this year fill out uh, surveys from um, the two Kickstarters I did like back in 2018 and uh, or 2017 or 2018. I was no 2018 is in 2018. I was like, wow. I was like, okay, I think I still got some of that stuff left. So let, let's just pack it all up in an envelope. We'll sit it out next week or something like that. So that's, that's got to be people that obviously just backed it because they believed in the project. They weren't trying to get any of that extra stuff. They just. Here you go, man. I believe in your project. Here's some money. Yeah. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Right. And so like I don't like I don't stress over it. Like it just catches you off guard. It's just like, yeah. So I thought I that was when? Oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Let's just let's just pack it up. Let's go. You know, let, let's just pack it up and let's go. So um, but it's been nice to like have the support that I that I have received. And I always tell people, like, this is another thing. Like another thing, if I known then when I know now. One thing I always tell people is, is that if you don't know who your audience is and if you don't know what kind of outreach you have, start small, start small, um, you know, start, you know, start small, have a small project, uh, you know, w- without like a very big goal. So like that way, if you like crush your, if you crush your goal, like it's like, oh, man, your Kickstarter was 300 percent funded. So like if you had like a five hundred dollar Kickstarter and it ends up being like fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars, they'll see the percentage. Yeah. And they're like, wow, that 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 person just like killed it. You know what I mean? Like start small, start small and grow, you know, grow your, you know, you know, grow as an individual, grow your audience um, and like, you know, and grow your your needs and do your needs fit with your audience. You, you know, like I've always felt that the projects that um, I've tried to put out there as a creator, as a as a creator are things that like I want to see out there. Um, and so, um, and I, and like part of that energy, I try to make sure that it shows in the project, it shows in the Kickstarter video, um, it shows in the interviews that I do, um, it shows in my tweets, uh, you know, my Instagram posts, um, you know, but like, yeah, there's always like worried though, always worried, stressed that like, I'm not going to make that, that like, I'm not going to make my goal. But like my friends always tell me, they're like, man, you always hit. So just, just play the game and keep pushing and you'll get there. And they're, and they're right. Yeah. So when you for well, let's take ignition, for example, you're doing that one issue at a time. Um, how many issues do you do you have a, a, a set number of issues already for that? Four. 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 So 
what made you decide to do it one issue at a time rather than do a collection, do a, you know, like a, a graphic novel? Because like for me, I think it was going to be, it was going to be, I don't want to say easier, but it was just going to be better for me to try to do Kickstarters for like 4,000 and 5,000 bucks than to try to do one for $16,000. Yeah. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Um, in all sincerity, I, I think that had been a lot tougher for me. I'm not saying that like I can't get that money, but one is 2020. Two, like I know the amount of work it would take to get $16,000. And like, I don't know if, if my audience is big enough to hit that. And that's no disrespect at all to those who have backed my projects in the past. Like, I think like the most I've ever put out for a project was maybe like 8500 $9,000 for like cash and carry book two. And even then I was stressing about that from the day I hit launch till the day it ended, like yeah. stressed, like my blood pressure went all the way up. Um, <laughs> I was on like blood pressure medication for like a year and a half after that. Um, and so, um, and so like, I just, I felt it would be less stressful on myself and the team. If I said, we just do this issue at a time. And, and so far I've been right. You know, so far, so far I've been right. And so, um, and it will probably, it's probably more than likely it's going to stay that way um, for issue three and for issue four. And so now, you know, I'll have to talk with, you know, with Jenna and Kelly and be like, okay, so when would you like for me to, to schedule issue three? And then when, when would you like for me to schedule issue four? And then I'll just put those Kickstarters together ahead of time. And then when the images and other things come in, I'll pop them in the Kickstarter and then we can just set launch dates. Um, and so it's just like I said, for me, it's just, it's just, it's easier that way for me. So using ignition then as a, to continue with that as an example, when you put the first Kickstarter up for issue number one, how far into the project were you when you launched the Kickstarter? Um, the issue was penciled, inked, it was written, penciled, inked, and it was halfway covered. Okay. It was halfway colored. Um, and then after it was colored, it was lettered. Um, the only reason why it's it taken so long to start fulfilling rewards for issue one, number one was because we got caught right in the beginning of the pandemic. Right, right. Um, we got caught right in the middle of the pandemic. And like a lot of the printers that I was using were shut down. And so I had to wait. And then um, there were other rewards like T-shirts that like got misprinted. So then I had to like send those back and then get new T-shirts um, waiting on shipping supplies. Cause like, you know, there are only certain shipping supply places that I'll use. And like those places were shut down for a while. And then I was like, okay, I gotta find another one. I was like, okay, I know this one. Let's go get the shipping supplies. So like the pandemic, like really slowed things down. But now, like with issue two, with issue two, like, um, as we were doing the Kickstarter, all the pages were penciled and inked. And as the Kickstarter was running, uh, Kelly was working on coloring. And so she's still working on coloring and lettering. So now by the time, you know, January hits, well, we should be done with it and I can start getting all the rewards together for that and ship it out in February. So, so like a lot of times we, I, I like at least for the book to be penciled, inked, and at least part of the page is colored, part of the page is colored. So I have something to show right. on that Kickstarter page because, you know, like that's the thing you got to sell. You, yeah. you got to, you got to sell. So, um, so without that, I, I, I can't, I can't sell anything. Right. So when you're coming up then with the money that you need to raise for an issue, I'm assuming that, of course, some of it, some of that money that you're raising goes to pay the the, the penciler and the inker and the colorist and the letter and then um, yourself, um, printing costs, mm -hmm. 
uh, shipping costs, but I'm assuming you also have to take into consideration whatever you're offering as a reward. So, for example, you mentioned T-shirts. You do you have you include that in the cost of what you're trying to raise? It's like if if I'm going to send out a hundred T-shirts, I'm going to need this much money to print up those T-shirts and ship them out. That's right. So, yes. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because if not, if not, like stuff like that can get you gotten a heartbeat. You yeah. Know what I mean? And so, like, um, you know, because, like, depending on where you're getting your T-shirts printed, like, how many T-shirts you actually need printed, like, in some places, the more you print, the cheaper the shirt, the cheaper per shirt it costs. Other places, it's just a flat fee, but, like, you're guaranteed, Mm -hmm. like, good high quality, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, there's that, too. But, yeah, that is also incorporated into the cost, Um, you know. So, like, a lot of times when the Kickstarter's done, money, like, you know, if we're lucky, there's 10, 15 bucks left. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so it's like, all right, well, I give me a pizza and a two liter of Canada dry. All right. We won. Yeah. So, uh, OK, um, I just had it in my head. What what kind of rewards do you do? You have a like a standard. It's like, OK, obviously you're going to get a copy of the issue. Uh, you're going to get a digital copy of the issue. Uh, you mentioned T-shirts. What other kind of rewards do you just because uh, you have your your first goal, then you have stretch goals. You add rewards as you yeah. hit these stretch goals. So, what's your what's your basic reward package that you know I'm going to give out? I'm going to have this stuff ready for folks. A lot of times, like a normal a normal like a normal package would be okay. Here's your print copy with your digital copy. Um, let's throw in a magnet and uh, and like maybe like a mini poster. Okay, like that's normally your initial package. Um, and then like you know you'll have like the same package but with a T-shirt. But like I normally have two or three, two or three different types of T-shirts. So and like and also depending on because we also have variant covers, too. Um, and that's something else that's like different for me. I never have done variant covers before. Um, and the thing is, and how I tell people is like with Ignition Issue 1 and with Issue 2, every cover that's printed, I don't reprint. I don't. So once it's printed, once it's printed, um, you know, I may keep like, a couple extra copies to take to take the shows when I when we eventually have conventions again. But. Um, once they're printed, I'm not reprinting them. So it makes them, I don't want to say you know, more valuable. It just makes them more than that potential. Yeah, true. You that know, let's true. say you blow up and they make that ignition movie. <laughs> Boom. Those people who got that issue. Number one, that's yeah, true. True. Yeah. That, true. That, you know, so, you know, but like it, it makes them have something that's like, Hey, I had this. Yeah. And no one else has this. Or very few, pe- very few people have this. And like, so like that to me, that's really cool. So um, like, say, for instance, with the first issue, I think we had like seven. I think we may have had seven or eight variant covers. And, and it's not like everybody ordered hundreds of each. You know, it's just like, you know, maybe the main cover had 100 plus. The second, the second cover maybe had 75. Third cover may have had like 80. You know what I mean? And so forth and so forth. And with this one, I said, okay, let's pair it back. And we'll just have, we'll have five covers for issue two. And one cover for a second printing of issue one. So once again, all new covers, you know, all, all new covers. And everybody's like, oh, hey, that's really cool. And so it just gives, like I said, gives people the opportunity to get something that they're never going to be able to get again. Right. Um, t-shirts are always a thing with stretch goals. Um, I like to do things like, OK, here's an MP3 commentary or OK, we might throw in some bookmarks or we might, you know, here's a. Um, Maybe we might do something like a keychain or like a pin or something like that. Um, if you know if the stretch marks ever got that far, but like I try to keep it simple. Um, you know, I try to keep it simple not only for me but for the backers as well. Also, shipping cost wise to keep shipping costs down. Like say for instance, like if I bag and board a book, I can put the stickers in there. I can put magnets in there. I can put like you know the mini poster in there. 
put in a nice firm envelope that can't bend. It keeps, you know, shipping costs at a nice price. And then poof, it can just, it can just go out. It's the same. If I put a t-shirt in there too, it's the same thing. It keeps, still keeps costs reasonable. And so, um, I try not to like get too over elaborate, too over elaborate with it. So your print run, that's just for the, the folks who backed you on Kickstarter? Pretty much, yeah. It, do you plan on putting, um, like still selling digital copies either through, I know you've got a Gumroad mm-hmm. um, and through like Comixology, places like that? Um, when it's all said and done, yes. Yeah. Like the thing is, I still want to find a publisher for it. Okay. Um, when it's all said and done, I, I want to find a publisher for it. Like I want to do right by Jenna and Kelly mm-hmm. as well. So I hope that we can find a publisher. And if we find a publisher, then it's like, okay, now let's see where the journey takes us. Um, so like I've, I've withheld on like putting it out digitally, um, right now. So like right now it's just like the Kickstarter is the focus, but then was, that's another reason why, like say for instance, when we did the Kickstarter for issue two, I told everybody, it's like, if you didn't get issue one, you can get it here. You know, you can get it here. So like, you've got that opportunity. If you missed out, you still got a chance. When we do the ignition, the Kickstarter for ignition issue three, I can tell people you missed out on the first two issues. It's okay. You can still get them in this one too. So like, uh, the opportunity the opportunity to still get that stuff is always there because like, I don't want people to miss out. Okay. Well, I think that answers all my Kickstarter questions. I'm always, I'm really interested in Kickstarter because it's just one of those things I've never done. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, I just don't know much about it. It's work. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It's, it's work, but like, like for me, like it helped, it really helps me get, my goals and my dreams out there on top of everything else I'm doing. And it gives people opportunities, you know, like with issue two, we did like all these cool variant covers where I got to work with artists like Tracina Bowling and Tiana Conyers and uh, Elizabeth Bales, who I've been wanting to work with like forever, like forever, ever, ever. And, um, and Megan Wong and um, Rory comics, uh, Rory Durain. And also with Kelly Guillory, you know, the series artist doing a cover, a painted cover, no less. So, like, it's it provides opportunities and these people get paid for that stuff. So, like, that's like, like I, that that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, that makes me feel that makes me feel good. Like, I got to collaborate with somebody I always wanted to collaborate with. They got a check and like all parties are happy. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Let's talk about culture trapping. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Let's talk that's, about it. Let's talk that's about it. podcast. That's uh, what you and Julian Lytle and uh, Daryl. D- Daryl Taylor and Gil Cologne. Who's, who's the fourth guy? Uh, Gil Cologne. Okay. I don't know him. I tell <laughs> you, I listened to this latest episode you guys put out and my first thought was, okay, who's the fourth guy? They're not going out of their way to announce <laughs> who each one of them are. Oh, yeah. But I'm still not done with the, with the episode, but I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Tell, tell folks what Culture Trapping is. All right. Culture Trapping, um, as I said before, it's a podcast. Uh, it's on the Taylor Network podcast. It's me, along with uh, creators Julian Lytle, uh, podcaster Daryl Taylor, and podcaster Gil Cologne. And, you know, we talk about pop culture stuff. Uh, we talk about real real world stuff, too, like the issues that's going on, issues that are going on in this country, um, you know, from like a, like a black and brown perspective. Um, you know, we'll, but we also talk about TV shows like Power. But we talk about comic books. Uh, we talk about movies. We talk about the we talk about the business of entertainment as a whole as well. And so um, it's it, it, and it can all vary. It can all vary. We can hit a tangent in a heartbeat yeah. because, like in the beginning of, of the beginning of the latest episode, 
um, you know, as of this recording, like uh, we talked about, we were just talking about some about music and how and I talked about Lady Antebellum and how that led to that lawsuit with Lady A, an unnecessary lawsuit, by the way. And, and like, in, in like, which it opened up this whole big old can of worms because like some reason it was just stuck back here. And I was like, I got to talk about this. And so, um, and so then you fast forward a couple of days later, Charlie Pride dies, which also like for me internally opens up a big can of worms. But that, you know, because but that's another story for another time. Anyway, but like this podcast, like we've been doing this probably since like, I want to say 2016, 2017. And um, we've all known each other for at least over a decade. And Daryl's been wanting all of us together on a podcast for like a long time. Like I used to podcast years ago, I had a podcast called The Black Box that was on the HHW LOD podcast network. I, um, I, was, on, I was on one episode. Yes, you were. <laughs> Harold. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Yes. And so like we did, you know, I did that, like um, the, my Patreon account that I have. I was trying to do a lot of podcasting on that. Life has kind of been like, <laughs> there's no time, son. <laughs> there's no time, but hope to get back to that one day. Um, but like, I enjoy podcasting. I've been on like a lot of other people's podcasts and shows and it's fun. And I have a good time. I have a good time. And so Daryl was just like, hey, man, like if you do this show, like you don't have to record it. You don't have to edit it. He's like, I'll take care of it. And I'm like, OK, cool. I was like, count me in. Count me just in. Come on and talk. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Just provide your voice. And I'm like, okay, bet. Great. You know, so I was like, let's do this. And so um, we don't record as often as we used to. We used to record like, you know, like you get together like every other week, every other two, three weeks. And like, um, but this year, 2020 has just been rough on all of us. So we just get together when we can. And when we do, man, we just go all in and it's fun. I, I think what I like about the show, and it, it actually wasn't this, this most current episode I've been listening to. It was the one before it. Because mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I think Daryl had put up that you guys had just finished recording what's probably out now. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know about this show. And so I go and I, I grab the, the latest that was up at the time. And you guys are talking about you're talking about TV. <clears throat> and I, I think it was this show power you guys might have been talking about. Yeah. But the thing I like about it is because you do tell it from your perspective as far yeah. as the, 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 the industry and whatnot. And you were talking about this TV show and man, so one of y'all were talking about, you know, everything that's been happening and this happened and this happened. And then, and then she did this and he did this and she was telling him that and you get done. And one of you is like, and that all happened. They're only like two episodes in. <laughs> and I think it might've been you. You were like, well, you know, black TV shows, we got to put in as much as we can. Cause you never know when, when the white people are going to cancel it. You know, so we got to, we got to tell as much story as we can. Yeah, we got to get it in because we don't know. We don't know when they're going to cut the cord. <laughs> and I just went that that makes sense. You know, hey, you just never know. Like, yeah. You never know. And so, like, say, for instance, perfect example is like a show like Power. Like, yeah, it's on Encore. And like Power is is like Encore's most popular show. Like or stars, not Encore. So it used to be called Encore. Now it's called Stars. Now I'm showing my age. Um, but, like, uh, but like Stars. Um, like uh, power is their most popular show and like it's literally helped keep that cable company afloat. Yes. Shows like Outlander do, do decent, do well enough. And they've had other shows on there too, but it's power that's kept the lights on. No yeah. pun intended. Um, and so now it's now like, you know, that the original power series is done. Now they're doing spinoffs and now, so like it's the second book and like that show is taken off. And doing and doing really well. But, you know, a lot of people thought like power was only going to last one year. And so, you know, they did as much as possible. And they're just like, this show is just wild. Okay, we got to bring it back. And so like, so yeah, but like for like a lot of for like a lot of shows that have like predominantly black cast, even 
in an era of streaming networks, um, which the streaming wars are completely wild. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. But what we're dealing with right now with streaming, never seen anything like this. Like there's a better opportunity for like shows with, with like, you know, with predominantly black, black and brown cast to have at least more than one season. But even then, you don't know because an algorithm, an algorithm can completely take you out the loop and take you out and take you out the existence of viewers. Plus, you're also yeah. dealing with uh, depending on the uh, streaming service, you're also dealing with what's the user interface look like? What's the graphic user interface look like? How easy is it to access? We all know Netflix's user interface is trash because all it is is the algorithm telling us what's hot, who's watched what, and, and possibly their suggestions. And nine times out of 10, how many of those things are actually things that you really want to watch? And how many of those things have anything to do with, I'll see, I'll see crap in categories like, uh, here's, here's some sci-fi comedy. And then they've got like the most deep, dark, dramatic, <laughs> non-funny movie ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes no sense. No, it, it does yeah. not. And so, you know, like all that stuff comes into play. But yeah, you're right. Like I, I said that, I was like, yeah, man, you never know when they're going to cut the lights out. So it's like you got to get in as much as you possibly can. And then, you know, and then if they, if they let the lights on for another season, once again, you do as much as you possibly can um, in the hopes that they don't turn the lights off. Yeah. Well, it's a good show. I've been enjoying good. what I've listened to so far. Of, of, I, I think one. I think another reason I like it is because it's like, you know, because you guys obviously you're all four friends. Y'all just uh, you're just talking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm in a in a freaking restaurant. I'm sitting in a booth, and I'm just sitting there listening to you guys in the other booth, just talking. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just listening. I'm enjoying it. You know, yeah. Nothing's it's forced. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is forced. It's just it's it's comfortable. You know, yeah. we all we all feel comfortable, and and we also learn from each other too. Um, you know, because like all like I said, all of our lives are completely different. Like I live, like I live. You know, I live in the South, but it's closer to the Midwest. Like, you know, like Julian lives in D.C. Daryl and Gil live in different parts of New York. You know, so like all of our like our lives are all completely different. You know what I mean? And so like the perspectives that we even like give to each other, we learn something from. Nice. All right. Um, before we wrap this sucker up, I got some some standard okay. interview questions. OK. Kind of stuff you're going to get whenever wherever you're at. Right. What are you reading right now? What what is what is like something that you've been reading lately that you think other people should be reading? Give me what, what do I what do I need to be reading? OK, hold on one second. I can tell, right. you. I can tell you. Hold on. Hold on one second. Let me, let me get it for you. Let me get it. For you. Let's see. Ah, this and uh, see. You know what? You know what? Where is it at? There it is right there. All right, here we go. Okay. So we got a couple of things. And like I said, I, I don't read superhero I don't read superhero stuff as much as I used to, but I've been going back and looking at a lot of old stuff. Um a lot of this is old milestone stuff like icon. Oh yeah. Um this was a uh, volume one. Um like it's you know, like I said, it's it's a, definitely a different take on Superman. And also like a lot of people who never read about icon, what they may not understand is, is that like icon is like <laughs> like very conservative. Um, so, so like, you know, you're dealing with like a black conservative superhero um, when like the whole milestone line itself is not conservative. And so um, it's, it's like, it's an interesting take and like they're fantastic, they're fantastic stories. And also they did a story where like they mocked um, Luke Cage, like seven, like seventies slash eighties Luke Cage. Whew. Like I think they called the character Buck Wild. 
Nice. Ooh, man, <laughs> that was hilarious. Like, this is just a fantastic book. And two other icon, two other, not icon, but two other milestone uh, books. Um, Hardware, The Man in the Machine, uh, which is like, uh, I want to say it's also the first volume of stories. And also, um, this was a Static Shock. This was from like years ago where they did a, a Static Shock miniseries with McDuffie, um, Robert Washington, and um, John Paul Leon. And so, like, I've been I've been rereading these and like really just getting like a really good vibe. Now, two other things I've, I've also read. Um, I know like a lot of kids love Big Nate, and like I really started reading Big Nate for like the first time like last year, and it's hilarious. Like yeah. th- these are these are great com- like these are great comics for for like kids, but like as an adult, like. It takes me back to being in grade school, and I absolutely love it. Um, so I got to give Lincoln Pierce props because Big Nate's funny. Also, um, there is um, someone named Amy Stoddard, and, she, and uh, they did a um, they did like a, a mini comic called uh, it's called Diets of Bear, and it's about you know it's about you know like body positivity and about how like you know everybody like you need know, diet and exercise, but like it's different for everyone. And like, you know, I'm not losing the way I thought I was supposed to lose and like, and like trying to learn how like to love who you are and whatnot. It's short, but it's, it's a short comic, but it's really great because like I, I, like I struggle with like body issues too. And I've been like that since like I was a teenager. So, um, and I want to say that um, it's a, it should be available at a uh, Genki girl.com, a www.genkigirl.com, I believe. But yeah, I got, also got like a digital copy of it too. And like, it, this is actually, I want to say this came out last year and I finally read it this year. And it's actually like one of my favorite things I've read this year um, because it's just so honest and, um, and it's cute. So, you know, and so like, you know, you could be a dude and like cute stuff. You know, there's oh, nothing yeah. wrong with that. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, but that's like, that's what I've been reading as of late. All right. Now those milestone books, they just recently republished those, didn't they? Uh, no, these are a couple of years old. Like these are right. like, like these are during, cause like, if you look at the logo, like, like if you, yeah, look, that's that, that's that old DC logo. That's that old I, DC logo. Yeah. I, I think they just recently republished them though. Cause, uh, I being, uh, what I refer to as a low rent fanboy. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of my stuff through Hoopla through my local library digitally. Oh yeah, and uh, those books just showed up within the last well this year just just within the last year. Uh, Icon nice jumped up there first, and then uh, Hardware mm-hmm. came out. I just I reread Hardware. I was collecting comics. I was working at a comic book store when those books came out. Oh, okay, and I remember reading Hardware and Icon back in the day. I don't know if I read. I don't. I don't remember reading Static Shock back in the day. And then there was a fourth one. Um, Let's see. There was. What was that fourth with the descent? Wasn't it like they were a gang? Who got super superpowers? Blood Syndicate. Yeah. Blood I don't think I read that one either. But uh, I really enjoyed Hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyed rereading it this time around. Yeah. And I remember liking Icon. Um, that's the next one I need to be checking out on Hoopla. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, the milestone stuff is is really really cool, and then like you get into stuff like zombie with an X, like X O M B I, like yeah. um, you know things like that, and um, like the, the milestone stuff was way ahead of its time. Yep. You know, is it, is way way ahead of its time. I, I wish because like basically back then DC was just like a distributor for milestone. Like that's really what it was. I really wish they would have truly got behind it. Now, like I'm glad now that. Um, you know, Milestone's Milestone about to make a comeback with DC, and um, they've got like some wonderful things lined up. I wish Dwayne McDuffie was still around to see this. 
um, you know, and but like, I'm glad it's actually happening. And, uh, and the folks that they have behind it, you know, are real sincere. And uh, I just I, I just want it to work. I just I just want it to work. You know, I, I just want to see it out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because Static Shock became hugely popular. I mean, he had a cartoon. Yeah. And yet, where's he now? Right. They like, they would they try to throw him into DC every once in a while, but it I don't know. Well, and they also put the and they also put the wrong people like the wrong people on those books. And then like when they finally put somebody decent on the on the books, it was too late. You know, and and like that's that's always bothered. That's always bothered me. You know, always like. But now hopefully, you know, we don't have to worry about that. Hopefully, and so you know we can get like you know solid creators that like you know that have a penchant for storytelling and understand the culture enough to like really you know make these superheroes so awesome. Yeah. All right, Sean. Tell people where they can find you. Oh yeah. Okay. So check it. You can find me on Twitter at uh, seanrprior.com. S h a w n r p r y o r on twitter um on instagram you can find me at the sean p show um those really like my two places where i reside like facebook i post every now and then like i try to stay away from the facebooks um but uh also i have a website right now the website is actually my amazon page i know like a lot of people don't mess with amazon right now and i understand it um but if you want to see what i've written so far, just go to SeanPrior.com. It will take you to the Amazon page. And then if you see something, you can go order it somewhere else. I will not be offended at all. So like those are normally the three best ways to uh, to like check out what I do. Um, if you see me on Twitter, um, I'm either cracking jokes, uh, talking Super Sentai, talking about book, talking about a book I'm working on or project or uh, just being me. So um, or, or posting pictures of my dogs. Oh, so, yeah. And dogs. <laughs> I love Dogs drive me crazy. I love them to death. I swear. I swear. Yeah, but you know, I tell you what, back when I was still leaving the house to go to work, mm-hmm. uh, I'd come home. I remember my kids when they were real small, I'd come home and they'd always be so happy to see me. Now it's like the only one that meets me at the door is that dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, um, always happy to see me. I'll come home. I'll come home and, like, uh, you know, because I come in from downstairs and go upstairs. And we have, like, um, it's a wooden gate. It's a wooden gate, so like when they come downstairs, they can't run into the den downstairs because you just, you can't give them that freedom. And so I'll get downstairs, and like King, the young the young one, he's like a year old now. He'll run down and he'll hop up and he'll like look over the gate, like who who there, who there? Oh, it's you. Oh, okay, all right. Hi, 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 Dad. All right, I'm going back upstairs. You know, <laughs> so they'll do that. Like, and Leo will do that sometimes too. She's three years old. And then I'll get up to the top of the stairs and they want to jump on me. I'm like, you let me get away from the stairs so you don't knock me down the stairs because life insurance policy isn't that large. All y'all be homeless. So just let me get upstairs please, every time. Well, one of them recently had the uh, medical issues, right? Well, Dar- Darcy, uh, that was Darcy. Darcy had passed away in uh, late January, back in February. Um, bless her heart. Yeah. Um, you know, like she's sweetest dog in the world. Actually, Darcy was the reason why, like, I now accept dogs. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I had a bad incident with, with dogs a long time ago. Like this, those this, this year, this year right here got ripped, th- got ripped through clean by a, by a greyhound. Yeah. And I had to have surgery to, to like get it reattached. And like it scared me off of dogs forever. And then when I met, when I met my now fiance, um, she had a dog, Darcy. And and um darcy had her issues like she had um, a lot of anxiety so we had to put her on medicine and whatnot but like she's the sweetest girl in the world and um you know she had some tumors and tumors were cancerous 
we did all we could. And, um, and to those who had donated to the GoFundMe to help us with those medical issues this year, um, before she passed, I appreciate it more than you ever know, because you gave us, you gave us almost 60 more days. And that means the world to us and definitely meant the world to my fiance because she loved Darcy to death. And so, yeah. you know, so now, but now we have two dogs in the house again. And uh, cause we adopted King, the one year old, we adopted him in April. Leia's happy about that. Um, you know, but like, it was different when we had two girls. Now it's a boy and a girl and, and boys going to boy, Lord have mercy. Boys gonna boy. <laughs> yeah. Too much. He, he sees too much. But, you know, he's a sweetheart, too. Like, they're both sweethearts and, um, you know, they, they mean a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about Darcy, man. I just, I, my, my dog, he's over in the other room. He's looking at me right now. He knows I'm talking about him. Niles, he's a Lassop, so he's a rescue dog. We've had him for a number of years. He's getting old. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, you know, we know it's, we know it's coming. But all you can do is just let him know how much, how much you love him. Yep. You know? Yep. You know, just let them know how much you love them. You take care of them the best you can. Like, that's that's all you can do. And, like, um, as long as they know that every day, they're going to be okay. Oh, yeah. Good dog, you know? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, I know. Trust me. I know. I know. I know. All right. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there? Anything you, people need to know about you? No, just, um, you know, be on the lookout. Uh 2021 is going to be a busy year, um, like 2020. Like, uh, I think being so busy during this pandemic actually saved me from like really going off the cliff. Um, but there's going to be a lot of projects next year. Um, there's going to be a lot of Kickstarters next year. I can't really say, I can't talk about anything yet because like I normally don't like talking about stuff until either it's done or unless a contract is signed. Yeah. So, um, but like, I'm excited about 2021. I feel that we're going to be in the house for a majority of 2021. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, we'll do what we can. But, uh, you know, like I said, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, go to my, my website slash Amazon page and, um, you know, and follow me there. And, you know, Hey, I just, Steven, I can't say thanks enough for having me on the show. I, I appreciate your time so much and I appreciate you. Well, it was a pleasure. I always, I always enjoy, I, I, I follow you on Twitter. You're actually, I have a couple of lists on Twitter and you're on one of those lists so I can check it out every day. I always appreciate your dog tweets. And then just, <laughs> you know, I do, I learn stuff from you and uh, appreciate that you're out there. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you, Steve. Oh man! Well, now I get to go upstairs and uh, go walk both dogs separately. Can't walk them one. You can't walk them both at the same nope. time. That's chaos. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. They would just go after each other. I'm like, y'all do this in the house. You don't have to do that outside. We can walk together. Nope. And I'm like, look, you're not doing a hell in a cell cage match outside. Just take it back in the house, both of you. We're we're done. <laughs> we're done. Right. <laughs> we're, we're done. We're done. But no, thank you, my brother. I appreciate you so much, and I love you. Uh, you know, give my give my best to the family, and um, I want you to have a happy holiday, and and take good care of yourself. Okay, you too, man. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks. Well. Bye-bye, Daddy.
Good job. <gasps> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 